few weeks, we've been studying John chapter 15. Um, and it's this part of the Gospel of John where Jesus is, um, he knows he's about to die, and he's telling his disciples how they can experience spiritual growth and how they can experience spiritual change in their lives. And of course, you know, this is what we all want, right? We all want spiritual change. We want spiritual growth. I, I assume you want that because you're at church on Sunday morning. Spiritual growth is something we, should all, we all crave or long for in some way. And Jesus tells us how we can grow spiritually. He says, he uses a metaphor of a vine and branches. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is then that will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you connect yourself to me, you will bear fruit. You will grow spiritually. Your life will produce something of value and something for the glory of the name of God. And the truth is, though, you can't study John 15 without cross-referencing and looking also at Galatians 5. Because this is a a passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul picks up on Jesus' teaching and expands on it a bit. And he even shows the role of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual growth. And so our text today, we're going to take a detour from John 15. We're going to look at Galatians 5 and then we'll get back to John 15 in the next few weeks. But Galatians chapter 5 starting in verse 16. The Apostle Paul picking up on Jesus' teaching from John 15 says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul says that is the fruit of life in the flesh. But then he says, but the fruit of life in the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the life of the flesh with its passions and desires. And so as we've seen the last few weeks, Jesus talks about life in the vine producing a certain type of fruit. Now, Paul here speaks about life in the Spirit and the fruit that it produces. And he contrasts life in the Spirit with life in the flesh. Now, years ago, I heard a a podcast episode of This American Life. Does anybody listen to that show? Great show. Ira Glass, great voice. But I've listened to a podcast episode of This American Life titled, My Own Worst Enemy. And it tells the story of Dan Blumberg. And Dan Blumberg is a man who absolutely loves, more than anything, crab meat. That's what he loves. There's only one problem. He is deathly allergic to shellfish. (laughs) 
And his love, though, of crab meat can literally kill him. And he tells the stories on this podcast of numerous close calls that he's had with death because of his love for eating crab. And he says, after one near fatal experience with crab meat, the host of the show, Ira Glass, interviews the guy and he says, is this near fatal experience enough to make you stop eating crab meat? He says, of course not. I just have to take more serious measures. Now when I go to eat crab meat, I bring with me Benadryl, my inhaler, and an EpiPen in case it gets really bad. (laughs) And he says, this is a quote from the podcast, he says, The poisoning myself is not that bad. The worst part is that I just get sleepy from the Benadryl. And Ira Glass says, wait a minute, did you just say the poisoning of yourself is not that bad? And he replied, yeah, I mean, I like it. What can I say? I like shellfish. And then the voiceover comes on, and the voiceover says, We all have that one area of our lives, one vice, one desire, where every time the cock crows thrice, we find ourselves back at the entrance of the ER asking for a doctor with a guilty look on our faces. The point of this podcast episode was that we are, in many cases, our own worst enemies. This man, Dan Blumberg, continued to poison himself with something he knew he should not do. And spiritually speaking, we often do the same thing. We poison ourselves with thought patterns, beliefs, behaviors that we know we should not do. We know that they're destroying us and we know that they're poisoning us, but yet we keep going back to them over and over and over again. And we think, I'll I'll pack the Benadryl and the inhaler and the EpiPen and I'll keep going back to those things and I'll be fine. But Paul says that is a way of life that leads to destruction. As Dallas Willard, the theologian, puts it or put it, He said, we devise every imaginable scenario in our lives to not do what God says is best. That is what Paul means by walking in the flesh. Continuing to choose to do things that we know are killing us. That we know are taking us further from who God wants us to be and further from where he wants us to go. But the Apostle Paul says there's an alternative to life in the flesh. Which is to walk, and the alternative is to walk in the Spirit. Now, what does that look like? And how do you know if you're walking in the Spirit? Paul says if we're walking in the Spirit, though, there's a certain type of person you will become. You will be more loving. You will be more joyful. You'll be more peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and you will have more self control. Now, life in the Spirit is what we want, right? So I want to make three observations from this passage and then offer some practical application for how we can walk in the Spirit. The first observation is that life in the Spirit is what you ultimately want. Or another way to put it is that life in the Spirit is what you want the most, even if you don't know it. Paul says in verse 16, he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Listen to verse 17. He says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To what? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul says that life in the flesh is keeping you from doing the things you want to do. And you say like, well, I kind of, these sinful things or whatever, or these, thing, these things I keep going back to, like, 
I want to do them. That's why I keep doing them. But Paul says, there's something you want so much more that you just don't know. You want to be more loving, more joyful. You want to have peace. You want to be more patient. You want to be more kind. You want to be good and faithful and gentle and self have self-control. That's what you really want. Because that's what you were made for. You were made to bear that type of fruit. And that is what the Spirit does in your life. When the Spirit is in your life, He is intent on making you more like Jesus. That's what the Spirit wants to do in your life. And Jesus is always loving and always joyful and always peaceful and always patient and kind and good and faithful, gentle and self-controlled. You say, what does life in the Spirit look like? Life in the Spirit looks like you being made into the image of Jesus. And C.S. Lewis often explained that Jesus is the clearest example of what it means to be fully human, to be fully alive. See, the fruit of the Spirit, Paul says, is what it means to be fully free, fully human, fully alive, to experience the fullness of God. Paul calls this true freedom, to be loving and patient and joyful and kind. That's freedom. See, true freedom is not the ability to do whatever you want to do. We think that's freedom, but that's not freedom. True freedom is the ability to do what you were made to do. This is what you were created for, life in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is dead set on making you into this type of person if you will listen and obey Him. This is what you want more than anything in this world. But most of us have trouble remembering this, don't we? That what do I want? What I want is to walk in the Spirit. But yet we have a tendency to forget what we really want. Which leads me to my next point, and that is that we all have conflicting desires. See, your life is a series of conflicting desires. And what you do is not, it, it, what you do is always a result of what you desire the most in that moment. One teacher says the outcome of your daily life is the result of you yielding to a do, does, dominant desire in your life, flesh, or the spirit. And you will do what you want to do in any given moment, period. Your sin patterns, your bad habits, your destructive decisions, you must take responsibility for them. Why did you do them? Because you wanted to do it. Many people say, oh, Will, Pastor, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. He may have tempted you, but in the end, you wanted it. So you did it. And for Christians, there's this tension because we live between our justification, meaning our salvation, and our glorification, meaning the day when Christ makes all things new and sin is no more and all of our sinful heart is stripped away. We live between our old selves and our new selves and the self that God has promised we will become. We know that we've been justified and accepted before God and He's promised, promised us that one day we will be like His Son. But we live in the now and the not yet stage of who we know God has declared us to be but not yet who we already are become, have become. We're living between the promise. And so we often have two desires when we're tempted. And I think most of you can relate to this. As Christians, we all have two desires when we're tempted. One desire is to indulge the flesh, to give in to the temptation. 
But the other desire is to crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit. I mean, this is, uh, and uh, you, you know this tension, right? When you're faced with a temptation, there's part of you that really wants to give in, and there's part of you that really wants to do what God has told you to do. And, the, and what you will ultimately choose in those moments is decided by what you desire most in that moment. What do you, when, when you're faced with a, certain, with a certain temptation, you will do what you ultimately desire most in that moment. And each one of us has a conflicting set of the desires. We see this in everyday life. You want to lose 20 pounds, right? That's one desire. But that falafel cart across the street from your office with the white sauce, you know, extra please, you know, more, uh, or the bagel shop or the pizza place, right? You, you want to lose 20 pounds, but you also want carbs. You want to have a better work-life balance, but you can't seem to leave the office on time, right? Or you want, I, I want to spend more time in prayer, but I need those extra 30 minutes of sleep. Or this is the year I'm going to read more, but that new show just dropped on Netflix or whatever it is. Or I want to be an involved parent, but let me first check my email. And we can laugh at those things, but the truth is, is when we choose lust over self-control, and when we choose envy over peacefulness, and when we choose anger over patience, and when we choose materialism over contentment, and when we, when we choose one thing over another, we are giving into what we desire the most in that moment. And those desires reveal the state of our heart. And we, are, we have conflicting desires. We want to walk in the Spirit, but there are parts of us that still want to gratify the desires of the flesh. And these are both powerful desires, which leads me to my third observation, which is do not underestimate the power of the flesh or the power of the Spirit in your life. See, don't underestimate the power of the flesh. See, when you become a Christian, you begin to desire to walk in the Spirit, right? You, you want to put your sinful past behind you. But the unfortunate truth is that your desires don't go away. You know, many, you hear many people tell the stories where they're like, you know, I became a follower of Jesus, and I just never experienced any temptation after that. And I'm like, either you're lying or you've, you're, I just haven't experienced what you're experiencing. Because when I became a follower of Jesus, I had these new desires where I wanted to follow Jesus, but the, my temptations were still there. And don't underestimate the, the power of the flesh in your life, because the, the truth is your desires do not go away, and they don't even calm down sometimes. And you may have a desire to walk in the Spirit if you're a Christian, but the desires of the flesh are still there, and don't underestimate them. And this is confusing to many Christians, especially young Christians, because you wonder why. You're like, I, I love Christ. I love Jesus. I'm try, I want to walk in the way of truth, and, but why do I still struggle with certain things? And, and those of us who've been following Christ for decades, we can say that the struggle, uh, the frustration even grows because you follow Jesus for decades and you're like, I still am, am teetering back and forth between these desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. And you're like, I thought I'd be over it by now. Why does the flesh still seem to make demands? Doesn't this passage even say, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? So the question is, like, well, if the flesh has been crucified, well, then why does it still war against us? 
I heard one pastor use this analogy. He said, consider a first century crucifixion. A verdict has been delivered. A man has been sentenced to death. And he is, by all practical purposes, a walking dead man. His death is certain. But he's still making demands. He wants, he's, trying to, he's asking for water or wine to satiate the pain even in the midst of his own death. Give me water. Help me carry this cross. Give me something to eat. One teacher says, our fleshly desires are like the dying wishes of a man being crucified. See, the flesh wants it, but we don't have to give it to it. Right? And so, one just word of advice for fighting the flesh. Just because the flesh is like peering its head, and it's, it's making demands on you. Oh, you feed me, feed me, feed You don't have to. You don't have to. And one of the ways that you can, you can not feed the desires of the flesh is don't put yourself in situations that awaken fleshly desires. Um, one way I've I, I understood this recently, I have a friend who battles sex addiction. And his roommate, a few years ago, his roommate was going to be out of town one weekend. And he was going to be alone, and he knew that that was a recipe for disaster. And he knew that loneliness could always breed, could lead to him falling into that addictive cycle that he was trying to escape. And so he called us up, called Rebecca and me up, and he said, hey, can I come spend time with you guys this weekend? Can I come to New York? He said, because I can't be alone. And so he booked a flight to come visit us in New York, and he spent the weekend with us because he knew he didn't want to be alone. Because he knew that if he was alone in his apartment, then the, the, the situation to awaken the fleshly desires would be so strong that he may, might not be over, able to overcome it. So he booked a ticket to come and spend the weekend with his friends. Because he, it, you guys are familiar with home field advantage in sports, right? Amen. If you've ever played any, any sport, you know how important home field advantage is. The home field advantage always has an added benefit. They're playing in a familiar arena. They get cheers instead of booze. They get, they get to sleep in their own bed the night before the game. See, home field advantage is incredibly important in sports. And so often in our spiritual lives, we put ourselves in the flesh's home field. And we take away our advantages. And we give the flesh the upper hand. Do not underestimate the flesh. Go to war against the fleshly, sinful desires of your heart. Don't, uh, don't, don't underestimate the power of the flesh, but don't underestimate the power of the Spirit either. I think too many Christians walk around defeated, thinking that they can't overcome sin in their life, that they can't become the person that God has already declared them to be, that they can't walk in holiness, because they, they failed in the past. And so many of us walk in failure because we don't believe that the Spirit is powerful enough in our lives for us to overcome. Ezekiel 36, 26 gives a prophetic word he says, about God. He says, and God will give you a new heart and a new spirit He will put within you. And it will cause you to walk in His statutes and be careful to obey His rules. See, through the Spirit, God is working in you to give you the desires that are greater than the desires of the flesh. And the truth is, the truth for you is, that although it may feel like the flesh is, always wins, you do not have to stay the same. 
The Spirit desires to make you like Jesus and make you loving and joyful and peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, and self-controlled. Don't underestimate the power of the flesh. Fight against it, but don't underestimate the power of the Spirit either because the Spirit gives you the resources to say no to sin and say yes to the way of the kingdom. Now, I want to give you practical application. If you say like, all right, okay, I want to walk in the Spirit. How do I win this battle? How do I walk in the Spirit? First thing, believe the gospel. (laughs) Believe that you are a child of God. And that is not a cliche or trite statement. Oh, believe I'm a child of God. You know, that sounds like like a generic little Christian statement, but it's not. There's so much truth in there. The phrase child of God is not some throwaway statement for what it means to be a Christian. It is at its core an identity statement about who you are. It's the truest thing about you if you're a follower of Jesus. That you are a child of God. You have been called a son or a daughter. You have received all that sons and daughters are entitled to. God is your good, trustworthy, and generous father. St. Augustine said, if the entire Bible could be encapsulated in a single sentence, then it would cry out like the resounding waves of the seas, the Father loves you. And when you want something that is in contradiction to God's will in your life, it is because you have stopped believing that He is a good and trustworthy Father. All of our sin at its core is rooted in you forgetting God's character and you not believing that He is trustworthy. When you get yourself into an unhealthy relationship because you're afraid of being alone, you are not trusting that God is a good Father and that He will provide for your needs. When you are stingy with your money and when you're not generous, It's because you have stopped believing that the Father is a good and generous Father and will give you what you need. When you become envious or jealous of others, it is because you have stopped believing what the Father says about you is true, that you are accepted and that He is pleased with you. All sin can be traced back to us in a moment not believing that God is a trustworthy Father. Listen to me, church. There is nothing that you could possibly want in this life that is contrary to God's will that you ultimately need. Did you hear what I said? There is nothing that you could possibly want that is contrary to God's will that you ultimately need. Because He is a good Father and what He demands of you is always for your joy and for your satisfaction. He wants to give you what you really want. And what you want is to walk in His Spirit in obedience to Him. You go, well, I don't like certain commands that God has given in the Bible. I don't like that, that He says about that. Or I don't like what He says about that. It's not about what you think. It's about what you trust. Do you trust that God is a good Father? And if you do, you will be willing to obey what He has commanded you to do. Believe that you're a child of God. The second thing, if you want to walk in the Spirit, abide in Jesus. That's sort of the theme, right? If you want to bear fruit, you abide in Jesus. The ultimate goal of the Spirit is to make you more like Jesus. And you're like, and, and the tr- how can you become like someone you don't know? See, if you want to become like Jesus, you've got to get to know Jesus. 
through the scriptures, through prayer, through Christian community, people speaking into you the truth of who Jesus is. When you abide in Jesus, when you behold Jesus, the Spirit will guide you to develop an admiration for Jesus, Jesus, and then the Spirit will empower you to imitate Jesus as well. Once again, this is why the local church is important. This is why I'm so glad that, you, that you're here this morning, that you see the value of the church. Because one of the great values of the church is that you can be around other people who love Jesus, who know Jesus, and they can encourage you in who God, who Christ is in you. This is, why, uh, this is why the church is important. This is why your personal devotional life is important. Because it's there. You, you, the reason we read the scriptures, the reason we have pri- our, our private prayer lives is so that we can fix our eyes on Jesus. If you want the desires of the flesh in your life to become weaker and the desires for what is good in your life to become stronger, fix your eyes on Jesus. Abide in Jesus. And here's one exercise that's always helped me. If you're always like, man, how do I walk in the Spirit? How do I live like Jesus lived? Think of all the things in your life that tempt you, that hinder you, that the things that keep you from doing, the, the, the things that keep you doing what you don't want to do. Think of the sin patterns in your life and then think to yourself, in Jesus' name, I'm going to look at that website. The absurdity becomes apparent doesn't it? In Jesus' name, I'm going to fire up that website. In Jesus' name, I'm going to overwork and ignore my family. In Jesus' name, I'm going to speak angrily to my children. In Jesus' name, I'm going to be easily offended by every criticism that comes my way. In Jesus' name, I'm going to hate my body. In Jesus' name, I'm going to spend all my money on these things that aren't worth spending my money on. In Jesus' name, I'm going to pass judgment on the homeless man on the street. In Jesus' name, I'm going to pass judgment on the immigrant in my building. See, when, we, when Jesus becomes the focal point for the life that we're living, our sin begin, starts to become absurd, doesn't it? When we fix our eyes on Jesus, our sin becomes absurd. There's a song that I love. Some of you may know it. Turn. Your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And what happens when you look full in His wonderful face? In the things of earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of His glory and grace. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Your sin will begin, life in the flesh will begin to look absurd to you. The things of earth, when you look to Jesus, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. When you behold Jesus, you will start to become like Him. And finally, Affirm the work of God's Spirit in your life. I think one of the reasons why many Christians don't progress in their their spiritual maturity or in growth in godly character is because they fail to recognize the areas where they are growing. And that we walk around defeated thinking that nothing is changing in our lives when the truth is things are changing in our lives all the time. We just don't take time to reflect on them and to celebrate them. 
Celebrate the moments where you see yourself becoming more patient and more kind. I think we often fail to grow in the Spirit because we don't take the time to recognize that the Spirit is actually working in us. It wasn't by accident that you just happened to feel compassion for that person. You know what I mean? You know those days where you just kind of like on the train or something, you have compassion for somebody and you don't normally have compassion when you're on the train? And you're like, what, what, what is that? That's the Spirit doing something in you. Celebrate that. It wasn't an accident when you show kindness towards someone. Or you know, that time, you know how your, your kids might just set you through the roof? But then like one day you're like, I showed patience with my child during that thing. That's not an act. That's the Spirit at work in you. Celebrate that. When you felt like indulging the flesh, but you showed self-control, that was the Spirit in you. And celebrate the work of God's Spirit in your life. John 15 says, if you abide in Him, you will bear fruit. If you are in Christ, you will bear fruit. And you know the thing about fruit? It grows very slowly. Like you, I remember in you know fourth grade in botany class or whatever, you know we would have our little things, our you know our, and we'd put them under the light. And we and then you know you come back the next day at school and you're like, are my tomatoes ready? And your teacher's like, no 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 no, stop staring at it. Like it's going to take some time. Fruit takes time to grow, but it does grow. Why? Because we are connected to a good vine and a good gardener. If you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. It may take longer than you want, but you will bear fruit. And you will miss out on what's happening in your life if you fail to recognize the seeds that begin forming. When you you do bear fruit, celebrate those things. If you're a Christian, there's a promise in Romans 8, 29. It says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed into the image of His Son. I know that word predestination gets everybody all nervous, but it's in the Bible, so we read it. But all I'm saying is that there is something that happened in eternity past. God already set forth that you would be conformed into the image of Christ. I don't know how that's true or how that plays itself out, but I believe that by God's grace and by the work of the Spirit, God is conforming me into the image of His Son. Slowly in this life, but fully in the next. That is a promise. God is making you into the image of His Son and it is accomplished through the Spirit working in your life. And when you take the time to affirm and celebrate the moments where the Spirit is making you live more self-controlled, You'll become more aware of the presence of the Spirit in your life. And you will develop the confidence and the assurance that it is possible to walk in the Spirit. So celebrate the work of the Spirit in your life. Pray with me this morning. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a good gardener. Thank you that Jesus is a good vine. And that if our branches are attached to the true vine that will bear fruit. Thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul that say the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. God, we want those things. I want those things. I pray that the people in here, uh, the people of this church want that as well. God, help us be conformed into the image of your Son. Help us walk in the Spirit. It's so hard to do sometimes, but help us walk 
in the Spirit because it's what we ultimately want. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.